trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Charlie Bonner. Charlie, who uses he, him pronouns, is a youth voting rights advocate and communications professional working to engage a new generation of civic leaders. A graduate of the University of Texas at Austin, Charlie majored in government and planned to honors where his thesis, A Republic If You Can Jeep It, was awarded the Trice Prize for Creative Scholarships after he drove 10,000 miles across the country to interview strangers about democracy. An alum of the Bill Archer Fellowship, Charlie has acted as communications director for state representative Nicole Collier in the Texas League of Conservation Voters. Currently, Charlie runs statewide communications and outreach at Move Texas, a nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to empowering young people in civic life and tearing down barriers to the ballot box. As a spokesperson for the voting rights movement, he currently appears on local and national outlets, including the Texas Tribune, the New York Times, National Geographic, CNN, and MSNBC. Charlie has been recognized as an Austinite to watch by Tribeza magazine, as a rising star for the Austin New Leaders Council, and as a future of Texas honoree by every Texan. Charlie Bonner, ladies and gentlemen, going to up oh, in non-binary and gender diverse folks who is going to save us from ourselves in America. Charlie for president. Like, no pressure, geez. <laughs> Charlie God. for president. <laughs> Hello, Bree. Hi, Charlie. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. You've been like on the top of the guest list for years. And so I'm happy to glad, have you out glad here. to finally be here. I'm like, I don't I saw that intro though. And I was like, <laughs> vulnerable conversation oh i don't know about yeah. that but listen let's see what we're I can, gonna see what i can give you today we're gonna talk you. about the importance of voting why everyone should vote in every election how you got started in this work how i want charlie to run for office in the worst way possible so you can save all texans <laughs> you and only you feel this way so i would disagree i feel like if i did an instagram poll it would get many alike so We'll circle back. That's democracy, baby. I'm just saying there are some people. IG poll. Listen, <laughs> it's called surveying. It's called um, investigating for a, a run. You know, you got to make sure it's going to be a yeah. good fit. I feel like this is strategic. I appreciate it. Somebody, somebody's got to bring some strategy to this life. You know, uh, I was trying to think about the first time we met, and I think it was for the interview we did for pride over on oh my god what's the podcast name the rabble thank you i was like it is a wednesday at four o'clock and i'm my brain yes i think that was the first time we met which means like we were both babies so i'm like oh my gosh it seems like so long ago 
Um, a true podcast-based friendship, just how we liked them. <laughs> Truly. I, I think that was the first time we met. It was instant. I was like, well, this is my new best friend, everybody. Nobody panic. <laughs> Nobody panic. Nobody panic. Quick connection. Truly. So, yeah, I want to know, like, how you got into this work in 10,000 miles. I just, we just need to circle back. 10,000 miles. It's a long, uh, it's a long way to go in a burnt one's cheap wrangler. You know, that's a lot of Celine on loop. (laughs) It is. Yes, it is. Uh, Well, I can tell you a little bit about how I got involved in politics. We can jump into the thesis also, as it is like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, But I got involved in politics at a pretty young age um, when I was 12. Uh, which is not everyone's origin story. I don't think about how they come to politics, but I had a really incredible civics teacher back in Richmond, Virginia, who saw how my like eyes lit up in this class. And that was really not a priority in our county. It was like in a study hall, basically over like a semester. This was not like a huge investment that they were making and really overcrowded classroom that sort of situation, but I fell in love with the the basics of civic engagement, that this is a country built by ordinary people for ordinary people, mm-hmm. and our government is just a reflection of us, for better or for worse. It is made up of real people making real decisions that affect all of us, and there was something so empowering to me about learning that, and as a young person who, you know, I probably didn't even know I was in the closet yet, was not even at that point in my life, but knew I didn't fit in and was looking for a sense of place, um, a sense of belonging. And that teacher, Miss um, Carol Kinzer, who truly changed my life in so many ways, was like, you know, if you really like this civic engagement stuff, you really think you're interested in politics, you shouldn't get involved in a campaign. And Obama was running at the time for the first time. And I got my mom to take me to the campaign office and started making signs and doing just kind of menial tasks around the office and worked my way up to making phone calls and like going to knock on doors um, because it's really hard to say no to a child who knocks (laughs) on your door and like ask you to vote on their behalf. Um, And it changed my life, truly. It is the thing that gave me that sense of place. I knew that that is where I belonged. And it was all just folks from across the community, whether it was church ladies that were making dinner for volunteers at night, it was college students who were taking off a semester because they believed in something bigger than themselves that was going to have impact for generations to come. All of those folks sharing space in one one donated office held together by duct tape and like whatever was donated to build that office that would only exist for a couple months every election cycle. There was something truly profound for me in that space. And uh, I've worked basically on a campaign or in this voting rights space ever since, which is, I'm always like, I'm already at retirement age of like, <laughs> since I started at 12, I'm at 26 now. And I'm like, ah, we really, we really put in some time on these campaigns. Um, but it, I think so much of my philosophy about what we do goes back to Miss Kinzer and the ways in which she empowered me and helped me find a sense of place and belonging and power in politics and using that as an outlet. Um, and so I will always, always be grateful 
to her and to my mom who was willing to put me in the car to drive me to the office and like made those phone calls with me and that was like how we spent so much of my like teenage years was in campaign offices having those conversations with with folks about elections so number one shout out to teachers and to moms because always always. the true heroes of the world i mean shout out to all parents well you know moms are moms are moms um i also laugh i didn't realize we have so much in common um i got really into politics when i was 10 like the nerd i was who are we i know which i feel like very much lines up with our friendship um it was i was 10 when the gore bush election happened and I grew up in a very diverse place in Connecticut, super progressive town. But my teacher at the time was like, okay, if y'all could vote in the election t- like this year, who would you vote for? And me, I'm like, I've known these people my whole life. There's no way they're going to vote for Bush. And the gall and gobsmack that hit my life when I saw hand go up for Bush. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse them out of me. Like, yeah. Yeah. In Oprah's America, y'all are going to sit here and tell me. When, when Gore's talking about all the things that would have saved us now, but I digress. So that really got me. Like, I have never, like, missed, like, a local election. Like, I've just always been so into politics now to just to, like, that impact in that classroom of just, like, you can be growing up in the same place, in the same environment. Yeah. And still be, like, so different politically. That really freaking blew my mind. And then now to realize that you and I are six years apart and I will never be okay for the rest of my life. So sorry. It's okay. So, sorry. so when you were 12 volunteering for Obama, it was the first election I voted in. And I'm like, <laughs> anyway. Um, but I think about that, too, of, like, what it meant for me to go and vote for the full for the first time and the amount of like excitement around voting for Obama and, you know, not to be that person, but also like Obama wasn't perfect. I'm not saying like he was, yeah. you know, we all are still human. Politicians are not our heroes. Correct. Okay? I mean, there are people Michelle, who choose to make decisions. Now Michelle know? Obama. Different yeah. story. <laughs> I'm like, not a politician. <laughs> not a politician. She, she can be our hero. She is a hero. Um, But yeah, just, just to hear also me being obsessed with your mom who I've never met but just her on your Instagram is my favorite thing um but just knowing that like shout out to your mom like okay you want to be involved let's just (laughs) beat that pavement and go go do it and you know I also am not above child labor when it comes to voting rights so you know it was a very effective communications tactic you cannot say no to a cute little kid when I turned 18 I was like well what are my talking points now I've really been running this like I'm not old enough to vote convo for a long time now (laughs) got a lot of bang for our buck out of that Um, had six good years (laughs) yeah truly so I want to know what it's been like you know, I'm going to back up and say like, it's been such a empowering and life-changing thing to watch you organize rallies, to watch you work with young voters, to watch you speak on all these, you know, national outlets talking about the importance of voting and what's happening. So the first thing I want to know is like, what has it been like to organize young volunteers and young voters and get them excited about voting or excited about volunteering when when it comes to having other people vote? Yeah, you know, I have a pretty just foundational belief that I think is rooted um, in getting involved in that first campaign, that registering someone to vote, bringing them into civic life in whatever 
format that is, whether it's bringing them to a rally, helping someone testify at the Capitol. That is a way in which we help people take ownership over their own lives. That's really what voting is about. It is not about winning or losing an election for me. For me, it is about somebody showing up and saying, in a world that feels so strange and so out of control, voting is one of the ways that we select the direction of our communities for ourselves and for our families. And we try to make the future reflect our values, right? And I think there is something so life-changing about that. Not not to be too hippy-dippy about like what we're up to every day, right? But I really don't think about this as like wins and losses on a scoreboard. I think that every single person that we talk to, that we register, that we bring into this process, we are helping them unlock their own power. And when you do that, nobody can take that sort of power away. That changes someone's life when you empower them in that way or help them really see it. We are, they have that power inherently in themselves. We are helping to connect that into a larger system, right? And, and I think it's so particularly important to be having these conversations with young people for whom these conversations have been taken for granted for so long um, by both parties. This is a bipartisan problem that we have of taking young people for granted and not seeing their real political power. And one of my favorite analogies is that we talk about voting in elections as a party. Who's showing up to the party that they weren't invited to, right? That no candidate is reaching out to young people and saying, you have a place here in this campaign, on this platform, in this community, right? And I think we see more and more disconnect from young people not feeling like they have ownership in their communities, in their homes, that they are you know, whether it be because they're renters and we have, you know, a society that only values homeowners, um, property owners, let's, you know, go back to the history of that. Uh, all these sorts of things, young people more transient, they're moving more, so it's hard to have that sense of belonging. But I think voting is one of the ways that we tie ourselves to community, that we feel a place and we start to build that larger community in that sense of belonging. All of that, I think, is really important for this generation. Uh, and that is like an inherent value, right? We also have like an incredible political opportunity here that there, this is particularly in Texas, one of the youngest, most diverse populations that has ever existed in this country. Uh, what we are trying to do is to awake the political power of this existing group that has power. They are a powerful group that is swaying trends, that is swaying the economy. And what happens in Texas changes the entire world. This is a center of cultural influence and political influence and power. And so what happens here really matters. And I think trying to help young people see that power that they already have uh, has been a really incredible experience. I've been at MOVE for the past three years and we've registered tens of thousands of young people to vote over the past several years. But we really, I think, found our footing in this voting rights fight that has emerged over the past several years and become a really a national fight. And I don't think it was ever a given that an organization like MOVE that was founded by young people for young people and powered by young people would be leaders in a national voting rights movement. Uh, we refuse to be relegated to a kid's table. Uh, 
We know that the voting rights of young people, particularly young black and brown voters in the state, one, are at risk, and two, have impacts on every single Texan, right? Every single person in this state is impacted when we diminish the voices of a few. Uh, so some folks can hold on to power. Everybody is impacted by that, whether you like it or not. And so I think we have really claimed our own power in the past several years and, and have started to shift the movement, right? Young people know how to organize in different ways. Um, and it is honoring that past working intergenerationally um, so that we have a truly diverse movement because what we're trying to build is a multiracial, multi-generational democracy that's never actually existed in this country. I think that that is so hard for folks to, to remedy sometimes. Myself is hard to remedy with that sometimes because I think sometimes we are, we're thinking we're just fixing problems, right? That like we are trying to make something that fixes the Voting Rights Act from 1960, whatever. And, but really, we are acting in a radical act to build a democracy actually reflective of all of the people that live here. That was never the point of this whole thing. This, this democracy was not designed for everyone. It actively has excluded groups the entire time it has been in existence. And so we are trying to smash open a system and make it as good as its promise, as good as it is supposed to be for years that we have said we live up to these values and we really don't. And so I think it is our generation on, on voting rights and a whole host of issues that are saying enough is enough. Are we going to live up to our values or not? Are we going to make a country as good as it's promised? Or are we going to continue to pretend like these ideals on a piece of paper matter more than the lived experiences of actual people? And this is why I say Charlie Bonner for president. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, Charlie. Yes. Okay, I do want, I want to push back on one thing though. Okay. <laughs> I can't even give you a compliment. Okay, go ahead. I know, but I just want to say that I think so often we, we hear this thing in politics about people in politics, you know, like encouraging people to run for office. Yes, we need better people to run for office, but I think it's always important for people to understand that there are a million ways to affect change and that like every single person is powerful regardless of what they're ever mm -hmm. elected to, right? Like that elected official is a placeholder, right? Mm -hmm. They are a person who's supposed to represent their communities and our values. And, and I just don't ever want to say that like one good person running for office is going to fix something, right? Like I think that's why I'm always like coy about people saying that we should run for office because I think this is bigger than that, right? Yeah. And it's bigger than all of us in the conversations that we have. Well, I, I think for me, it's like, well, number one, I want to do, I do want to circle back and say the reminder that people in office work for us. And I think so many people get afraid to call their representatives and hold them mm -hmm. accountable. But, you know, one of the most beautiful things I learned when I moved to Texas is, you know, I got really involved and in, in more focused on politics when moving here because Texas is such a heavy hitter in politics. It's like, these people work for us. And if they're not working, mm -hmm. we can fire them by putting a new person in that position of power. Exactly. And that they have to answer our emails or our phone calls or get back to us. Like they literally have to do that. And so it's also like, they have to comply with our requests and the things that we want to yeah. make sure get done. And, and just, you know, having talked to a friend who gets such anxiety when thinking about calling, they were like, they would put them in their phone of like, blah, 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 who works for me. And I think that like really helps people unpack that anxiety of like you totally. have every single right to hold these people accountable because, you know, their term will end or you can vote them out or all these different things. So I think for me, when I see people like you and my friend Alicia and a bunch of other people, you know, people at AJC who are just 
awesome justice coalition um who are just so informed and involved and actually know what's happening versus you know seeing politicians who have no idea what the hell is going on they're just like i am wealthy and usually usually white and cis male and privileged and i want to be in this position of power but then also you know thinking back to the shape of politics in Texas specifically, I think about the Texas ledge and how we're going into another session in next year, which I'm not prepared for, as always. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be prepared. No, and God bless you and like Ash Hall and like everybody else who just like sits and goes and just does all the things. Um, But I think about the Texas legislature and how those representatives, (laughs) it's typically very wealthy people who can afford not to have to work full time because it's technically not a full time job. And so yeah. you think about people they make who- $7,000 a year. What kind of job lets you take off six months every other year and you can make $7,000, right? Right. So we have disproportionate like lawyers and doctors and folks that can take that sort of time, right? And so we have um, may- amongst the least representative bodies right. in the country, uh, in probably major democracies that like does not at all reflect the people who live here. Right. And, and that's a thing that always gets me is like, so, you know, thinking about, you know, what's happening in Texas politics with the ledge coming up and we have a gubernatorial, gubern, we have a governor's race next year. I can never say fucking gubernatorial bullshit. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't even, it's governor. Anyway. Make it um, make sense. <laughs> English is just, anyway, I think about, you know, the, the governor's race, we have a presidential election coming up, which is, so wild to think about they're already <laughs> preparing for that again surprise um, no one's announced yet <laughs> oh my god please it's i just don't need 17 people running for one office again i need everyone to relax um but i'm just wondering like what are, do you have any concerns as we go into specifically the governor's race in texas if if abbott wins it is his last term he can serve if i'm not mistaken um and I think it's this is last. If he wins, this is the last time he can serve. I thought I can also be making this up in my brain, Stella. I kind of don't think we have term limits. I think there is a term limit to go. Y'all, we're gonna figure this out like in lifetime. So I'm like, am I making this up? I'm there like, is... I do this for a living, and I'm like, I, I, I thought he couldn't no, there's run no, again. There's no, term. there's no term. Yeah. Okay, then I've just been living a dream. <laughs> but this is it. Okay, so we have him running for office. I think a lot of people think because are under the impression of after the freeze that took place in 2020 2021 last year that we are going to see a shift in politics because of how texans were treated by the governor and even still him not like doing anything about the grid and if you don't know about the texas grid google it i don't have time to talk about it right here um but then i don't don't have i don't have the emotional i I mentally cannot we're still dealing with that drama um but then also you know ted cruz who i can't even that demon um thinking about like getting him out of office when you know his election comes up again but i just want to like hear your ideas as we also see like Rose probably roe v wade's probably going to get torn down this year like what are some major concerns that you feel like people aren't either paying attention to or discussing as far as like texas politics goes yeah 
And I think it is important to go back to that winter storm. We don't, we won't get too deep into it. But I think it's important to remember timeline of all of these things, right? So that winter storm happened uh, after the Texas legislature had just started convening. And in the early days of them convening, again, they only meet for a couple months every other year. So it's uh, high time when they are here in Austin. Mm-hmm. And I think many of us that work in the space thought that the issues facing Texans were so real and so life or death between COVID, the economic response to COVID that impacted so many small businesses, and then the failure of the winter grid where truly the government's inaction led to the deaths of hundreds of Texans across this state. There is blood on the hands of the elected officials in this state, and it's not a conversation that we are having enough about the accountability of what actually happened there. Mm -hmm. I think many of us in the advocacy space thought those issues were so serious, there is no way they couldn't address, like couldn't not address them. Instead, we had one of the most regressive legislative sessions to happen anywhere in the country in the past several decades with all-out attacks on the freedom to vote, the freedom to access abortion, on LGBTQIA equity and liberation. Um, The things happening to trans kids in the state are particularly upsetting Mm -hmm. um, and vile, but all, all of these things are connected right? And I think voting rights is at the core of all of these things because, and this is why we see these specific attacks happening in Texas right now, as the electorate is changing, as more young black and brown voters make up an increased share of the electorate, we are going to see continued attacks like this because the folks in power do not want to be held accountable for the decisions that they have made the failure of the grid, the millions of Texans impacted by COVID, where they literally tied the hands of local elections officials and led to unnecessary death in this state in mass, right? That is, we are talking about a government that let their own citizens die because of their inaction on multiple fronts in the same year. Right. And instead of doing anything or taking any accountability to those families to prevent it from happening in the future, instead, we see partisan attacks. We see things to change the conversation, um, to, to distract. And that's really what these hyper-partisan things are. They are a distraction. They, I don't say that to diminish the real life impact that they have because real people in this state are being hurt because they are being used as political pawns. Mm-hmm. And, and that is profoundly upsetting. Uh, particularly that we are seeing children being used as political pawns to distract from the failures of so many. And, and so I, but I, and, you know, I like to be optimistic and we can, we can talk about what makes me hopeful in this moment. I think the attacks on our democracy, as much news as they are making, I don't think we really understand how profound the problem that we are seeing is. Um, because it, it, it isn't just the intricacies of the voter suppression laws that they pass in these states that we're seeing all across the country, right? Texas being one of the most um, upsetting versions of this, that we are now literally seeing vote by mail ballots rejected 
uh, in mass, that we are seeing ballots being thrown out. People who did everything right, who have been doing it right for years, have their ballots thrown out. More than 20,000 in the primary that just happened. That is going to get worse before it gets better. And we need to be talking to all of our friends about trying to understand these laws better because it's gonna be on us to explain it to our friends and family come November. There is no politician coming to help us. There's no elected official. The governor and his secretary of state's office have made it clear they're contempt for voters. And so we have to take on that mantle, right? So there is the actual legislative part of this. We also see local elections officials leaving their jobs in mass, um, that these have become targets of ire and of hateful attacks, death threats, um, particularly in states like Texas. So we see those attacks, we see elections officials leaving. We are also seeing a crisis of people willing to volunteer to run our elections, both because of COVID and I think because of the years of villainization that we have seen from anti-voter politicians, that they are actively vilifying the act of hosting an election. Our democracy only runs because everyday people show up and volunteer their time because they think it's important to do so for their neighbors and for their community. There were entirely too many polling locations in this last election that had to close because there were not enough people to show up and run those polling locations that anybody can do, right? That is truly average citizens showing up, powering our elections. So we need more of that. But also trust is at the core of this. These folks are not just trying to put up these barriers one by one so that you get caught up in the minutia of the law. That's happening, right? But they are also eroding trust in the system. And our trust in our democracy is the only thing keeping it going, right? It is not all these laws. It is not the mechanics. It is our belief that if we go into an election, either as voters, as candidates, as the political parties, that we trust the outcome. And that we all agree that win, lose, or draw, we trust the outcome. That is what is keeping this thing stable. And if we don't have that belief, the whole system falls apart. That is what they are trying to do. They are trying to force a crisis of our democracy through our trust in a system. And, and so it's so important at this time, too, to not just be voting but to be having these conversations with folks about our democracy, about how important it is to us, about how we value our votes, even when it is difficult to show up and make that decision, right? Um, that's bigger than, than these the winner of the election, right? Like that we are putting trust into this system, um, even as we criticize it, even as we demand better of it, that we are building trust and we are uh, trying to support the concept of the democracy at its very most basic level. I'm gonna need you to start your own podcast. I know you're busy, but I, just, I need this. Keep chatting. Keep I need chatting. this every day. So thank you so much. Um, I do want to touch upon like the loss of trust in the system because mm -hmm. that is such a a thing I hear often, especially from younger voters totally. um, because of, you know, we see, you know, I think everyone thought when Biden got in office, things would shift. And, you know, the day that him and Kamala got announced as winning, um, I went out and got good trouble written on my wrist as like a gentle reminder that like this doesn't change anything like again yeah. politicians are not our heroes they are there to do what is in the best interests of themselves and their 
backers is what I'm going to say in this moment. Um, but, you know, like you're saying, the loss in the, of the trust in the system of, you know, having worked at an organization that was registering voters, and I will be sure to link in the show notes, like how to become a poll worker for election days, how to register to vote, um, where you can go online and they can send you a paper one because <clears throat> I think about living here in Texas and how hard it is to even get registered to vote. Yeah. Like the voter suppression the most is- difficult state in the country it is, to register and test a ballot. It is rampant in, in, our, in our state. Like you have to find, you know, a deputy registrar who lives in your county who can do all these things. It has to be paper. You have to mail it in. Like just all these different hoops you have to jump through to vote. And then we also see, you know, voting during the pandemic of how, like you're saying, people who mailed in ballots, people who drove up to vote from their car. Like there's just all these things of, you know, these things in place, making it so difficult for voters to actually vote. And, you know, I always think about Georgia and how they had like a mass voter suppression and voter purge, um, specifically the year that Stacey Abrams ran and just how vehement and racist it was of how people, primarily black and brown voters, were just purged from the rolls. Yeah because of the spelling of their name and if their spelling of their name didn't match their id and then like there's all these different things that really honestly don't even matter like you can look at the photo and just and you see that it's this person but just all these different sort of loopholes they created as a way to make it so difficult and then also thinking about i now being a person who pays very close attention to elections in austin in texas how often we have elections like we have something I'm exhausted. On the, we have something on the ballot like this month There's I'm like, two this month i'm like Separate it's ones. may like what is did we just vote in march like all these different things that are constantly happening but it's also like if you're not staying informed you won't yeah. know like the way they make it so difficult and i think about the texas ledge specifically like if you want to go and testify, you don't know how long you'll be there waiting to testify. And having yeah. seen like you and other I've, friends who are there. I multiple times have been there for upwards of 24 hours right. straight. And just staying there <laughs> and Just waiting. waiting for your two minutes to say to say your piece. Um, yeah, this whole system is uh, fucked. The whole thing. And rigged, and rigged against working people. Like yeah. that is the reality, right? Like if you have an hourly job, in what mm-hmm. world are you spending 24 hours at the Capitol mm-hmm. to speak out on a piece of legislation, right? right? Or waiting for four or five hours in line to vote because mm-hmm. they've closed uh, upwards of a thousand polling locations in this state since the Voting Rights Act was gutted, right? Mm-hmm. And you're disproportionately likely to stay in those lines in black and brown neighborhoods across this state. You know, there are a long list of things I think you aptly identify as like huge problems and barriers to engagement. Right. And I think about too of like, there was, I, can't, I think it was here or another state where like they were making it so you couldn't even like bring food to people waiting in line to vote. Like all these different things. Georgia. Just, like, that was Georgia, which was a special kind of stupid, a special kind of stupid. They're, they're trying to pass over Georgia. there. But yeah, I just, I, 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 that's one of the things that comes to mind is like we have just lost so much hope in the system. And, you know, now talking to younger voters and people who will be coming up and voting and how they're just like they don't understand what the point of voting is because they have seen how the system continuously fails and you know i think back to the 2016 election when hillary won and yet still trump was sworn into office and it's like the system which the electoral college is bullshit we all know but just the system of how even when we vote we don't get what we want and so i understand that frustration too like how do we combat that and, and keep people engaged when you're doing, like you're saying, you're doing all the right things and, and yet still 
you have systems that continuously fail you. Yeah. And I think it is even harder than we know, right? And that the impact on this generation of what's been happening that, you know, we've been at war my entire life. We've been through financial crisis. We have been through the verge of another world war that we find ourselves in now. Uh, All of these sorts of things. And then a pandemic, right? That like fundamentally shifted and I think really impacted the isolation of so many young people across the country and particularly in this state. And uh, I we don't give enough credit to how the deck has been stacked against young people in in this country. We are now the first generation that is slated to make less money than our parents' generation, which has always been the promise of this country, right? That you came here to build a better life for the folks who came behind you and that this was a country in which you could do that. That That is not true for most of our generation anymore, right? And, and so I think we have to start really thinking about how that's impacting people. And it's one of the reasons I work in the nonpartisan space, right? Like, I also realize that many young people do not identify with any of the parties or the candidates running, um, that they know these folks have had their chance to save us uh, and really, again and again, choose power, choose money, choose all of these sorts of things um, in order to stay in power. And so I think we have to shift the way that we're thinking about this. And so we we don't endorse candidates that move. We don't work with candidates and move. What we do is connect young people with their values to like what's on the ballot. This is a generation very in touch with their values, that they are showing up in the streets for Black lives. They are showing up on their campuses to speak out against campus sexual assault, the crisis that we are having there. Uh, a generation that's showing up for climate change leadingness across the world, that they're really movements driven by young people. And I think we have to ground ourselves in the knowledge that every social justice movement in the history of this country has been led by young people and, and really understand the power that that has. So when we're having a conversation, we're not talking about electing XYZ candidates. We're saying, what is firing you up? What do you care about? What is getting you out of the bed in the morning? What are the issues keeping you up at night, right? And so for so many right now, it is climate change and climate justice um, for so many folks in our community. And so we say, okay, how do we show you, how do we illuminate the ways in which your vote for a county commissioner or a city council person can really make an impact on climate change, whether it's passing a local Green New Deal, ensuring that city buses are electric instead of gas-based, all the closing coal plants in our community, right? The things that we can, the few votes making a difference in an election, um, these local elections, which are so close to our lives, that's how we really take action on our values, right? And that is something that we have to show up for again and again and again. And it's bigger than an individual. And that's why I think we have to kind of change how we're thinking about politics and about elections, because for me, it is always going to be larger than one election and one voter. It is about how we create that habit and we see ourselves as voters, that I'm a voter who shows up every single time and I'm picking the person who's taking action on climate. That's who I am. 
and that is bigger than a party identity or a single voter identity, right? That we are trying to instill that um, in this generation. So I think we, it is about a larger shift in how we think about this space. I think that's fantastic. I also hate that we still have like a two-party system because we do. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever see where we shift away from that? That sort of you the lesser of two evils sort of note like that we all think about is like I'm gonna vote this way because I know I've heard people who like I would vote for a third party, but I think it's a waste of a vote because of the two-party system. Um, well, I just want to know, like, what you would say to people loving what you just said about, like, voting for the the thing on the on the ballot versus the person. How did, how do you see that shift sort of happening? Yeah, and it's difficult, right, because I think we also have to recognize, you know, there are many countries in the world in which you do vote for a party, you are voting for a platform that then individuals come and make a government around that platform, right? This is a very individualistic nation that we decided how we were going to do this is like pick the shiniest personality and like let them go be the decision maker, um, which is an interesting, right, that that is the foundation of this. So I think it's going to be very difficult to change that foundational system, right? Like we are still, I think, in large part going to have a two-party system because the two parties control the rules of like how those other parties get in. Um, And that is an unfortunate truth, right? But even if we look at electing third-party candidates to Congress and things like that, the two-party system runs Congress too, right? And it is inherently grained in the systems of Congress. So it makes it very difficult for those individuals to impact change or to actually pass policy if they are not operating in the like that system. Um, right. And I think even just thinking about like all of our own work, right? Like I'm not in this because I love a party or I'm like glued to a party. I am in this because I am trying to like use my small amount of time to like have the highest impact on everyday working people's lives. And I think, so it is just about changing how we're having conversations about this, right? That like we have to get less obsessed with the candidates and the shininess of beautiful people running for office, right? Like we have to get obsessed with our values and having those conversations about the real issues affecting us. Because if we're in, I think if we shift away from that too, we we are uplifting those issues in the, in a way that forces politicians to take action on them. Um, If we are just crowning someone as an individual, you are letting them make decisions about whatever they want, right? Instead of being held to these values and being responsible to us, responsive to us. So I think it's just a, it's a convert, how we think about the system itself, I think has to change. So, but for us, that manifests itself in those individual conversations with voters. That is how we have conversations with voters. Um, It is about connecting on values. It is about illuminating where you can have impact on the things that you already care about. And I think particularly if we look at, you know, one of our theories of change is connecting someone with that election closest to them too. Uh, in part, it's because you can see the real impact on your vote, right? In a local election that so often are decided by a handful of votes, every single person showing up can really see the value of their vote, right? But we know if we get young people to vote in those first few local elections of their lives, they become a lifelong voter. 
And so I'm also thinking much longer term about the impact of our work, that the work we do may win an election this year, may lose an election, who knows, but we are fundamentally changing the electorate in this state by doing this day in and day out and creating a generation of folks who are lifelong voters, who are people who show up at the Capitol, who speak out, who know their own power. And I think that's the only way we actually ever change anything is if we convince a new generation of their own power, even amidst the chaos, even amidst the hopelessness that I think so many of us feel, particularly in this state right now, that there is still inherent power in who we are as people. I just want, I just want everything. I think I'm just feeling one, you've blown my mind. So now I'm like speechless, but I'm also just feeling like, <laughs> as a person who grew up really like grew I grew up with people who had been involved in the civil rights movement like I've been marching since I was five like got into politics when I was 10 so like to be sort of for lack of a better term like indoctrinated to think that like all of our votes matter and then but also understanding and seeing how like the frustration around it so like this has been very helpful because I think now I've definitely done this like I am <clears throat> when I vote, I'm voting for the person who's most aligned with the things that are important to me versus the person with like the most well-known name, you know, like looking at, you know, just like the, the governor's race, the primary election, how many names are on that ballot. And just thinking about there's so many people who are running and I'm just always like, yes, I think everyone should run. Like you were saying, like, if you believe you can make an impact, yes, run. But then also what it would mean if we like, I think this happened with the presidential race too. Like if we dwindled yeah. down and got stopped getting so distracted of like, not saying it's ego, but sort of feeling like it's ego of like, yes, yes, I believe everyone should run, but like, let's put all of our power behind one specific person and make, you know, that sort of like, this is a group effort and this is what we all believe. And maybe they bring, you bring them into the cabinet or people you talk to, but I think we are just overwhelming voters with too many options. And so I like your idea of like, find someone who find the things that are important to you and then find the person who like matches that the close, the closest for you. I think that's a great way of looking at voting. Yeah. And I, in, I hesitate to say that too many people are running right too, because I think we've also like let so many people have never seen themselves reflected Mm -hmm. on the ballot Mm -hmm. ever. Right. And so I think we are in part getting to that place. I definitely agree. There's so much, so much, so much on the ballot here. And Texas, the ballots are so long too. But I think less so that it's like people shouldn't run, but we have to be thinking about what running really means. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you are running to just put your name on the ballot because of your ego, like I don't have a lot of time for this. Yeah. Right. But if you're running and you know that you, even if you may not win, that you are building community, that you are bringing more people into the system, that you are registering people to vote, so you're expanding the electorate. Even if you know that you're not going to win, but you are dedicated to expanding the electorate mm-hmm. and having important conversations about our values, then by all means, yep. most people are not doing that, mm-hmm. right? Because for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. whatever. But I think we need to be having much more 
intentional conversations because the folks at the top of the ballot matter. And they do, and they are turning people out, people resonate and connect with that individual. And if that person is only thinking about their single election, mm-hmm. that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. I want to know how people running for office are fundamentally changing the electorate to make it more reflective of the people that actually live here. And I want you to do it even if that is a longer project than your single election. Mm-hmm. Or that we're having those, you know, it's particularly when we think about the youth space, what we hear is essentially a self-fulfilling prophecy that young people don't vote. So we're not going to invest resources as a political party or as a candidate into turning people out who are difficult to reach because they move a lot. We don't have good phone numbers for them, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a self-fulfilling prophecy about people not reaching out to young people and young people not showing up. And they say, look, we were right to not make that investment, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of saying, we need to fundamentally change this state and it's gonna take a decade and we are going to invest in the communities that need it most. And we're gonna do that again and again and again. And we're gonna keep showing up. We're gonna keep running everywhere, even the places we can't win because we have to show up for people. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the type of people I'm interested in supporting, the people with a vision larger than their own election. Well, that makes me think <clears throat> of Stacey Abrams. Like after she didn't win yeah. her election, she was like, okay, then I'm gonna focus on registering voters. And we, we saw that here with Beto too, like he started a whole organization that was focusing on registering voters. So, it de- and we've seen the electorate change in, in Georgia, yeah. Georgia and Texas, especially during the presidential race in Georgia after, you know, all of Stacey Abrams' efforts. So I wholeheartedly agree of like, I want to know like people running for office, like your long-term goals, even if you don't win, like, how are you, like you're saying, yes. how are you going to change things to the next time when someone else runs, maybe in that same position, they don't have to go through worrying about not having enough voters registered to vote. Yeah. And you have to think like campaigns build massive infrastructure that disappears the day after the election, right? That we have built community in many places by bringing people together to volunteer, by bringing them together to knock on doors, all these sorts of things. And so often that is just wasted after an election. And I think how we think about building a longer structure of those things that we build to impact change over a longer period of time, I think is one of the only ways that we're really going to start to actually change things in this state. We have to start redefining what it means to win an election and how we are like showing up and investing in voters. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. I will be sure to list every single thing we talked about in the show notes today. So everything from <laughs> registering voters to how to find Charlie to all the stuff that is really important, especially in Texas politics. Um, is there anything you want to plug before I start wrapping us up? I have no, no things to plug. I just think this is a really important time. Um, and it's like, a really stressful time and a really demoralizing time, to be honest, to be a person who loves Texas um, and a person who loves our democracy. It is a painful time. And my, my call to everyone is that it is no longer enough to just be a voter. We have to go the next step. And we have to make sure that we understand the laws enough to help other people navigate them. 
we have to be the trusted elections experts that we wish that our elected officials would be. And we have to show up in the same way we showed up for each other after the winter storm, we got to show up for each other now. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to help each other navigate these changes and these attacks that we see across the board. And, and so that, that, is, that is my plug that it is time to show up for one another. Um, voting is one way we do that, but I think we have to go the next step for those of us that can um, and really start rethinking our relationship with the state and with our own engagement. Well, at the end of every episode, I'd like to ask my guest a final question. What is the best advice you were ever given or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? A great, a great question. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so much advice. I wish I uh, <laughs> could give myself past, past me, past pre burnout me. Would love, would love to. <laughs> Young little Joe-eyed. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, slow hope. down, girl, slow down. Um, the problems are still going to be there, but you know, the best piece of advice, and it's a thing that I think about daily in this work. I was a neighborhood team leader on the Obama campaign, the reelection campaign. Um, in 2012 and had an incredible field organizer, Alexis Rogers, who's an amazing human person back in Richmond, Virginia. And there are many days as a team leader where our job is to organize volunteers, to train them, to get them out on the doors and the phone calls. And volunteers are volunteers, you know, it is not the most reliable workforce in the world, right? Inherently so. And there were many days in which we thought, wouldn't it be easier to just do this ourselves? I know I could lace up my tennies and like knock out a thousand doors if I like really put my mind to it, right? And our field organizer, so so rooted in what the campaign actually meant, was like, what is the use of that? Mm. This campaign is built on all of our stories and our job is to bring more stories into this fight. And so it goes beyond just the number of doors that you can knock or the amount of voters that you can talk to. It is about empowering people to tell their stories because we have a system that has told people for too long that their stories don't matter, that their voices don't matter, that their lived experiences don't matter. And we have to shift that that paradigm for people. And we can do it through helping people have a better sense of how they tell their own stories, how to connect it to political change, to civic engagement. And that that collective story, the importance of those collective stories over ourselves, over efficiency, that that is really what this is about, um, is the advice that I root myself in every day. Even when it was difficult to wrangle the people to get to the Capitol, every single person who shows up and shares their story matters because they matter. And ensuring that people really feel that and internalize that is really important to me. Um, and was a really important shift in how I think about my own work. And so I think that has to be the best piece of advice I ever got. That's it. This week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the Tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.